0: Have you ever had a diary? Maybe not a diary, but maybe just a journal where you kept information, ideas, things that you wanted to remember. I don't care if it was a recipe, if it was a mixed drink, something that you wanted to remember because it had something that made you feel comfortable. Or maybe it was something that was bad and you wanted to reflect on it later and see what could I have done, you know, like a SWOT analysis you know you you take things and you look at your past and you say what could I have done different you know because sooner or later if you think about it you'll fix things or you'll fuck them up and sooner or later you'll discover ways you've already changed because of those events and you go back and look and say yeah this was a bad period but it was the beginning of something new my beginning and my end was in 1990 in 1990 We had so many things going on. President Bush had been in place for a year. You know, uh, previously had been Mr. Reagan, who'd been in office. And in 1990, so many things began to happen around the world. We started launching GPS satellites into orbit. The internet was actually born and becoming something more than just a concept or an idea. We had storms that devastated the country earthquakes everywhere but my beginning was on may 5th of 1990 i just arrived at fort rucker in alabama and was assigned to a company first of the 13th and it was amazing going through my flight training as a crew member not as a pilot i had some amazing experiences you know i'd get up we'd do training in the morning we'd fly at night And I always remember and reflect on the times when we'd get out to Shell Field, we'd get our assignment and our aircraft and our pilot, we'd go into Alsi, we'd get our vest, we'd check our gear, and we'd walk out to the flight line. And I remember the smells, the smell of the aircraft fuel, the sound of the engine starting around me. And I grabbed the donkey dick out of my bag to get underneath the aircraft and get a fuel sample, checking for water checking for materials that shouldn't be in there, and then letting the pilot make the final decision. I remember and feel climbing into the aircraft, crossing the straps over my chest and around my legs, and strapping in, putting my knee board on, and grabbing my dash 10 CL so we could begin engine startup. It was an amazing time. And it was also the beginning of the worst time. And we'll get to that in just a moment
1: welcome to diary of a bald man if you are looking for intellectual stimulation sublime content and empathy then get the hell out you are definitely in the wrong place
0: and we're back so like i said 1990 was the beginning and the end and that's a great thing you know when you look back and you're reflecting on your own life one of the things about you know the diary you know was to be able to go back into a period of time Mm because as time goes by us we replace memories with new events and new occasions and new ideas And we kind of lose sight of what's happened in the past. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's nice to see where you came from and what you built up from. And 1990 was a hell of a buildup for me. In the previous year, 1989, I had to go through a series of aptitude tests, physicals, selection, process, everything I could to get onto a flight status. And this was a proud time for me. My father had been a crew member on C-130s during Vietnam and after with the 7th ACCS, Airborne Command and Control Squadron in the Air Force. So flying was kind of a thing with our family. And like I said, in May of 1990, after I had passed everything, the fast tests, the physicals, the flight physicals, the aptitude tests, the background checks, to have access to the things I was going to have access to, it, it was a proud moment. When I set boots to the ground, at Fort Rucker, and I was walking in. I was one of the very few, because I being prior service and being in the military, I wasn't coming straight out of boot camp like some of the kids were that were assigned to my unit. It was a great feeling. I walked in, I checked in, and the world was my oyster. And right there in the center was a pearl. So we went through hyperbaric chamber, uh, we went through flight medicine, all this different stuff in order to per- prepare us for flight. You know, so we had all these different schools. So 1990 was a big blur. Some of the best things to ever happen. I enjoyed where we had to go through and do SEER school and some of the survival things that my father taught me in the scouts while we was overseas on Guam. I remembered and I applied, you know, and that's some of the great things about your diary, your mental diary is your ability to pull that information back. And people think, you know, I'm going to learn this once. I'll never use it again. And that could be true. And then other times it's going to be life-saving. And it has. So 1990 was some great period for me. You know, I got out. I got to fly in the OH-58. We were doing all kinds of training with other different aircraft. The movie Firehawks came out. And if you don't remember Firehawks, that was a great movie with Nicolas Cage. And it was about the Apache. And this was kind of unique because you know, the Apaches were just around the corner from us. And we got to see a lot of them. We got to interact with the pilots. Uh, We'd go out and we'd do IFF and identify and paint targets, get them involved. And we were preparing because, as you know, in August of 1990, Desert Shield was coming up and we were getting engaged in that. So there was a lot going on. We had a great time. There was so much, you know, uh, rivalry between us and other units there was so much camaraderie that you felt unique. You felt like you were part of something bigger. You know, another great thing that I loved about 1990 and being down at Fort Rucker, I tried my very first hot wing. Oh my God, it was great. We had went out, we had had a weekend pass, and we were at, I can't remember the name of the little place. It was a little hole in the wall, and hole in the walls are my favorite. You know, you get some of the greatest things the sights, the sounds, the smells. And I'm not a bar person. I'm an introvert. I cannot stand crowds. But I was with a group of people that I've been training with for months. And we were preparing to do some additional training down in Panama City. And it was just a great time. We went in there and I asked, you know, what is this hot wing thing? And they brought it out to me. And my friends and I just sat there and we got to enjoy one another company six weeks later I was severely injured and that started to do a decline that started to fuck with me emotionally and mentally uh we had desert storm coming up previous to that I had to go home on emergency leave because my older sister Leanne and my siblings, younger siblings were in a severe car accident so I had to go home <laughs> after flying uh, continuous sorties and preparation for Desert Storm, and, you know, Red Cross hooked me up. They got me a bus ticket because, you know, it was the fastest thing I could get at the time. So I went from Dothan, Alabama to Atlanta, Georgia by Greyhound bus, and all these things were running through my mind. We didn't have cell phones back then. I couldn't call, her. I couldn't call over to the Northeast Georgia Medical Center in Gainesville and say, hey, what's the status on my sister? What's going on with dophie What's going on with Mark Anthony and Michelle? I couldn't, so all that was sitting on top of my head, so here I am in my flight suit carrying my gear, carrying documents on me that should have been left at the facility uh, at Fort Rucker, and I get to the hospital, and I'm met by the recruiter and uh, some other military friends of mine who relieved me of things that uh, should have been left behind, but in the hurry of getting me home in order to see my sister and my siblings, uh, I'd walked off the facility with. And luckily, you know, thing, things happened. Good people were looking out for me. Um, and, and all was well. So I go into Northeast Georgia Medical Center, and, and I've got my flight bag. I've got my helmet bag. I got all this. And I'm just storming around the hospital. I find out where my sister's at. And I walk into a room, and I don't know how to explain it. There were cables holding her legs up. Her arms were wrapped up. She looked like a mummy. And I just saw red. Without thinking about it, about the potential of rubbing a blood clot loose and sending it into her brain, I was rubbing on her legs. I was trying to calm down. I was like, what's his name? Where is he? Because I was told that the individual that was in the wreck or caused the wreck to her vehicle and to my baby's, and to my sisters, and to my baby brother was on the grounds. And I went through the hospital to look for him. So, long story short, uh, security was notified that a very angry gentleman wearing a flight suit was storming through the hospital, yelling out an individual's name. And said person obviously looked a little haggard and maybe irritated. So, when security came up, they gently and I, I put this facetiously uh blocked my path and escorted me off property until somebody else could relieve me. Um it it's funny but it's not funny. I mean because the passion I have for my family uh occurred again when my dad got injured and had his hand cut and uh he was bleeding what I thought was kind of profusely at the time and I was once again nearly ejected from a hospital. The bad thing is, being a medic, you would think you'd know, you know, the demeanor and the professionalism you're supposed to show in these conditions. But at the time, I wasn't. When I myself got injured, it was a bad day. Over a year of planning and preparation and trying to follow similar footsteps that my father had as a member of a flight crew came crashing down. When the flight surgeon de-niffed me, uh, de nift meaning duties not to include flight, after numerous x-rays and testing and um, just all kinds of evaluation, I, I, I can't complain. They did a great job. They, for what I had to do and the job I was to do and the things I had to do, I had to be 100%. I mean, I, a year's worth of testing, training, physicals, working out, You know, it's flight status was amazing. And it was taken away from me in the blink of an eye. What was hard was not just coming off of the flight status. You know, it it was, it was difficult because my whole life, I'd actually thought I'd do the same thing my dad had done. I'd retire from the military. You know, I would donate my time. I, I would be... A soldier, I would do these great things. And I wasn't. I was a shithead. I was young. I was ambitious. God dang. Uh, I was probably not intending to be an asshole, but I was so cocky because I was proud of myself and I'm proud of my accomplishments at such a young age. I mean, I, I've done many things over the years where I've advanced faster than people around me. It's because I have desire and I have drive. And if you think about it, think about your past. Think about the things you overcame and had to do better than anybody else. I was not the smartest. My wife will tell you, you ask me what two plus two is, and I'll say 22. Math sucks. I suck at it. And you have to be decent in math because, you know, you're doing computations during flight. You're having to figure out how much fuel you got left, you know, time, distance, heading. Uh, The pilot would be watching me and I'd be following in my map book you know if you've never seen an australian fold on a map book that is a son of a bitch because you're looking at how fast you're going you're looking at where you're headed to you're looking at your wins you're having to figure out how much that on your nose you know how much are you going deviating off course i mean there is so much to figure out and i was good at it. i don't know how i really couldn't tell you it's because i had the passion and the love to do so think about yourself did you have that same desire and drive? Not to be the best, but to be better than you were previously. My problem is, is I never wanted to stop learning. You know, I, I didn't want to just stop at being an AO or a flight medic. I wanted to get up and possibly be a pilot, but I could not pass the math thing. But the great thing about being on the AO status, every flight, the IP would say, we do what's called a transfer of controls. He goes, you have the controls? I, and then I'd state, I have the controls. And he would say, you have the controls. It was the most amazing feeling. Except for an auto rotation. If you've never been in a helicopter and had to do an auto rotation, that's some scary shit. Especially if you have to do a running landing on your skids. You don't know if your skids are going to collapse, if the skid boots are on right. There was so much to consider. The way that this benefited me being taken off status. It, it didn't initially. I mean, I had nightmares about what was I going to do? I was married, young kids, you know, um, I didn't know what to do. That's a scary feeling, not knowing, but it was, it was freedom too, because I couldn't prepare for being free. I couldn't prepare for not knowing. You know, growing up in a military family, uh, you know, my dad would get orders and we'd prepare. He'd give the Encyclopedia Britannica and say, this is where we're going. Learn about the customs, learn about the culture, learn about the food, learn about the agriculture, learn about the language. He'd prepare us. So when we went to the Philippines, we went to Guam, anywhere we went before we got there, we knew more about that than any other military brat. You know, there's so many things that we do in life, but we never prepare to fail. And I think that's one of the things that is so important. We set goals and we attempt to achieve them. That's our desire. That's the outcome that we want. We don't plan to fail. And it sounds so strange because they, you know, so many people will tell you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You know, I've heard so many people talk about five and 10 and 12-year plans. I don't think like that. I never have. Because growing up in a military family, you know, you look at, okay, I'm going to be here for two years. Now I have to be prepared to leave for this. You don't want to set advanced goals because somebody above you is going to change that. You may have a dream sheet and say, hey, I want to go to Alaska. I want to go to Hawaii, Montana, California, South Carolina, whatever it may be. But somewhere down the line, you're going to trip on your dick and fall flat on your face. Because you can't prepare for everything. It's impossible. On 18 December 1990, I put on my Class A uniform. I still had my brace from my wrist to my, on my right wrist to my elbow. I had a friend of mine make sure that my brass and all my attachments to my uniform were perfect because I was not gonna go see my commander and my first sergeant looking like a shithead. That's not what they trained me to do. When I got to my captain, excuse me, and they were preparing for me to discharge, I had my records, I'd already been around the post, I'd signed everything out, turned in my weapons, turned in my documents and other things that had to be returned, my flight equipment, I felt like little pieces were being torn away. Things I built up on. And I felt that one brick, then another brick, and then the everything taken back down to the foundation that I had built or attempted to. But what helped me at this time frame was when I got to my commander and I tried, <laughs> and I legitimately tried to render a a proper salute and I had this brace on and my arm was all cockeyed. He started laughing, returned the gesture in the exact way I had and my first sergeant started laughing. What meant the most to me at that time was the first sergeant came up and removed my flight wings from my class A's. And the commander came up and put his from when he was an enlisted uh, crew member before he became a pilot and pinned his on me. And these he had earned in Vietnam as a crew member, as a door gunner. And I cried. To me, that was a huge accomplishment. He wasn't letting me leave with the wings that I fell on. He gave me his wings on the ones that lifted him even higher. When he gave up and went into becoming an officer through OCS. He's, he carried his crew wings with him at all times. And then when he went through flight school, obviously he got flight wings. When he pinned these on me and he said, never forget that you achieved and you earned these. I felt like a new being. It was the hardest thing to walk out of his office because at that moment I felt I truly achieved something where my commander would remove something that I felt I failed on and gave me something that he truly earned during combat and peacetime. It was an amazing feeling. When I got to the Greyhound bus station, (coughs) a group of my friends had met me there and they took my old wings and cut them in half because they said, leave this here. These are the ones you fell on. And I I wore my commander's wings home. It was the longest bus ride of my life. I was going home proud. Uh, Many people, you know, looked at me because Desert Shield, again, was kicking off. And they asked me where I was going. I said, I was going home. And they saw the condition of my arm. They saw the bracing and stuff like that and said, oh, were you injured overseas? No. No, I wasn't. It was humiliating to a degree because I felt I let my friends down. It had nothing to do with me. It was my time to go, but was, was more humiliating. I didn't know how I was going to take care of my wife at the time and the young ones, you know, how could I look my father in the eye who had been in combat, who had been in numerous aircraft incidents and had all this and still retired. And I hadn't made it five years. It's a lot of weight to carry. When we look at our diaries of the things that happened in the past, when you get hurt and you get pain, they're scars. Those scars are a new foundation. You know, when I'm in safety and we look at scars, it's like, hey, tell me the story behind that. Well, I had a glove. It failed. It had this. I did that. Did you learn anything from it? Oh, yeah. And now when I look at it, the reason I'm such, you know, a great technician, the reason I'm so good in my craft is I remember the one time it was almost taken away from me. You can't fail in life if you look at your past and you remember and you learn from it. You let that build you up. You know, 1990 was hard all the way up through 95. It was over five years before I began to start feeling myself again. And it was difficult. I got home again. I had a wife. There was children involved. And trying to put in for employment was near impossible. One was because some of the people looked at me at the time and was like, oh, you got injured, you didn't deploy, eh, you're not a combat veteran. And if the military couldn't keep you with this type of injury, what could you possibly do for us? It was humiliating. But I never gave up. It wasn't just the fact that I had my wife, and the children to look after. It wasn't that. It was a responsibility to myself to not let failure get in there and take me down. And that's not easy. You got to think about other soldiers, other professionals, not even, it doesn't have to be a veteran. Look at yourself. At what point did you almost have a complete failure and let yourself down? Got to the point where you just wanted to end it all. Got to the point where you became an alcoholic. And I did. Let me tell you, I was bad off. I hit it, but it was what helped me sleep at night. There were things that happened in between the loss of my daughter, you know, the failing of the marriage, um, addiction issues. It's not what you do. It's what you do to get back to yourself. Don't look at other people. Don't worry about what they achieve. Don't worry about what they have. You can't live their life. You don't want to live their life. You look at rich people and people say, hey, they got this, they got that. But then look at the news. Look how many people that are rich are miserable, constantly getting divorced, constantly getting involved in altercations, court cases, missing taxes. Money doesn't have everything. It's the life you live. We don't have to have all these things. What we have to have in order to live and be happy is saying, today's my day to do better than yesterday. Today's my day to take my scars and make that my armor. You know, we can fail in everything, as long as you don't give up. Never give up. Reach out, communicate, look at others. I'm not saying that you have to go to some kind of group session or group therapy. You don't need that. It helps because when you talk to other people... They've not stepped in your shadows. They've not done exactly the same thing, but they carry the same burdens in communicating. helps. Just being able to vent sometimes. Some people believe you go to a priest and you say all this and you ask for absolution. Fuck that. You don't have to do that. I'm not saying don't go to a priest. I'm not being disrespectful for anybody's religion or anything. You don't have to have approval from somebody else to improve yourself. You just have to say, this has to stop, and this is where I'm going to go. You know, one of our biggest problems today, the reason so many things fail, you know, people don't ask for help. They don't reach out. They don't say, I want to get out of this shithole that I'm in, that I dug myself in. And I've dug that to myself many times. Like I said, it took me five years after getting out before I started getting full range of motion, before I could start walking competently and lifting things and getting strength back and doing stuff imagine people that just gave up you go nowhere everybody has to carry you then that weights on your shoulders communication is key in anything we do whether it's in a diary and you slide it to someone because you don't have the strength to get your voice or You speak to someone because you don't have the strength to keep carrying that load. Get it done. I'm here to tell you, there's been many times where I wanted things to end. But when I saw that that was coming to it, I talked to somebody. I talked to a friend. Hell, I've talked to strangers one time. And I'd say, what would you do in this situation? Because I've got a friend or I know somebody. And they'd call me on my bullshit just like my wife does. No. Tell me what's really going on. We don't have to hide our stuff. And I think that's what too many people do, including myself. So that's what the purpose of the Diary of the Bald Man is. It's not just to help me. I've got to come out and I've got to cover it for the things I've done. But what I hope to do is to teach you the things that I've learned in the past five years since I've been married to my wife, Rhonda. I've carried a lot of loads. I've carried other people's loads. Been in toxic relationships because I did not want to fail. And sometimes not wanting to fail, that's going to drop you the hardest. It's knowing when to walk away. It's knowing when to say when. This is Alan Wolford, and you've been listening to The Diary of a Bald Man. Thank you.
1: This podcast has been produced by Alan Wofford for entertainment purposes only. This or any other podcast produced by Alan does not constitute legal, medical, marital, sexual, or professional advice. This and any other podcast does not reflect the opinions of his employers, clients, family, Boshar, Facebook groupies, promotional sponsors, or baby Jesus. Any health information shared, or mentioned as an alternative, does not create any patient-physician relationship, or other professional relationship, between the audience and presenters. No person listening to any podcast from this rocket surgeon, should act, or refrain from acting, based on the content of a podcast without first seeking appropriate professional advice and or counseling. Nor shall the information, be used as a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. As stated earlier. This show is for entertainment purposes, not how to lead or change your life. Do what the voices in your head tell you to do. Or what your spouse approves of. Alan Wofford, and all guests of the show, expressly disclaims. Any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on any or all contents of this site.